What's up, everybody? This is episode 11 of the Gold Standard Podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrera, and alongside me, as always, Levin Black. What's up, Levin? Oh, just the sky, the roof, ceiling, whatever you want to call it. That's what you went with for your intro? <laughs> the sky? Yeah, I mean, I guess I could say the Niners, but I mean, they're three and three. They had a good week, but they're still three and three. Yeah, we're going to get into all of that and just the wild swings that this team has given us as fans. But I, I have to start with this. When we sat down, you were eating Halloween candy, and I have to give you some love because you had one of the most underrated Halloween candies of all time, and that's Nestle Crunch. Great job by you. I give you full praise and credit. Do you remember who their 1990s spokesman was? <laughs> Sorry, no. Shaq. It was one really? of his first big national ad campaigns. Yeah, he used to go around saying like crunch and would hit people and stuff like that and be like a packs a punch or some some weird tagline like that. See, I like that because I believe the check actually does eat Nestle Crunch, not like Derek Jeter when he was sell, trying to sell Ford Focuses. Like, sorry, dude, Derek Jeter's not rolling around in a friggin' Ford Escape or whatever the hell it was. Shaq certainly eats, that's for sure. Yes. So you have recently moved into a new house. And I don't know if you take the same stance as me, but we bought a house last year and it was real important to me when Halloween came around because it's my favorite holiday. I wanted to put our house on the map as a Halloween landmark. So I gave out full size candy bars to any kid that came to the door last year for Halloween. What at the black household, what are we getting if we, if we come to the door? A couple of things. One, I would have been full size candy bars. Halloween is my favorite holiday. Quit being like me, Rob. <laughs> two it's actually one of the disappointing things of where we bought but it was too good of a you know i'm not going to not buy a house because of what it's set up for for halloween the way it works is my house we're at the end of a cul-de-sac and there's a driveway between two houses and if you follow that driveway back 200 feet my house is hidden back there so we're not uh, gonna a lot. yeah we're we're hidden behind other houses so we're, we're not going to have a trick-or-treater. You have to give out full-size candy bars then because if someone makes the effort to walk <laughs> all the way down that driveway, you can't be giving out fun size. you got to go with the full, the real deal. So it is disappointing because the neighborhood I live in is like a very kid-friendly. I got neighbors that I drive by every day when I'm leaving the neighborhood. They literally don't have a single inch of their yard that is not covered by a gravestone or something else. I mean, there, there's literally a house that I can see from my house that has at least a hundred decorations up. Like no joke, like their <laughs> entire garage, like they had their garage open when we just drove by earlier tonight and the garage was just plastic bins, which we're assuming is what all the Halloween stuff was in. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's how you roll. <laughs> but I do have to get to one thing. You said you gave out full size candy bars last year to put, your house on the map. Is that a one-year thing? Are you going to have kids disappointed? Because if so, you're going to get egged this year. That's true. I've set the precedent. <laughs> you know what? Here's the trouble. I don't know that we're going to get, I don't know that we're going to give candy this year because of COVID and the whole, you know, you don't want all kids reaching into the same bowl and everything like that. So we haven't, I haven't decided if we're even going to put the lights on this year, but I do promise if we give out candy bars, they will be full size. And I don't care. My wife's going to yell at me again. You get full size candy bars if you come to my door. That's that's my Halloween rule because Halloween is the best holiday. And that's all there is to it. 
Are you going to get your five o'clock shadow on and go as Jimmy or what? It would take me about two and a half weeks to grow the Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> five o'clock shadow. Um, I do like to dress up though. To this day, I like to dress up. Like Halloween is the best holiday. You don't have to see family. You don't have to buy anyone presents. You get to dress up and you get free candy. Like what? How could there be a better holiday? Well, that and you, you get to watch movies that you otherwise wouldn't watch. You get to force your wife to watch movies she would never watch otherwise <laughs> what's your halloween movie i wouldn't say i have like a specific halloween movie i just like to watch horror movies on halloween and it's kind of uh, whatever one i have not watched recently you know a horror movie where you can remember every last little thing that's going to happen is not really a horror movie anymore but my wife grew up with a mother who never ever allowed horror movies or any kind of movie like that in her household she had never seen a horror movie till me and i made her watch the poltergeist the other night <laughs> so she she has to watch horror movies and she's married to you so she's got to live a horror movie double whammy <laughs> i i have no tolerance for that i'm a huge wimp i've seen like no horror movies i never intend to uh i'm a huge wimp i fully admit it all right, we're going to do something a little different on this pod because we want to try and make sure we give you something different every day on the network here. So we're going to play a little true-false. Levin and I have clonked our heads together and we've come up with some true-false questions. So I will read a statement and then we will debate whether it is true or false. Let's start right off the bat. I'll start with the defense first, Levin. True or false? When everyone's healthy, Fred Warner is the best player on the 49ers. False. I think it's a lot closer than I thought I would have said. Like I actually had a little bit of hesitation, but it's Bosa. Bosa is the generational talent. He's the guy that can win a defensive MVP. I think Warner could maybe, if he had a tremendous year where he gets a couple lucky interceptions or a couple big plays, could get a defensive MVP, but I don't think he's truly in the running for that year in, year out. Whereas I think Boza, if healthy, is in the running for that every single year. Like I said, he's the generational talent, whereas I think Warner just happens to be one of the best players. I think Bosa's in the running because he gets sacks, and sacks are sexy. And that's what wins awards, is sexy plays like that. Fred Warner doesn't have a lot of sacks. He doesn't make a lot of those like super sexy plays. But he just makes every play. Uh, did you see the graphic on Sunday Night Football? His average distance run on his tackles was 20 yards. Like, that's insane. He's flying around the edge. He is shutting down plays that are well blocked because he's so damn fast. He just runs through all the traffic and makes the tackle. He's incredible. I, I, I don't know. Bosa's amazing, yes, but I think it might be Warner. This is not something where I'm going to be like, no, you're definitely wrong. I think it's close enough now with the fact that Warner, I think, has taken another step this year. But I think it should also be said that there's Kittle over there. I mean, I guess you're wanting defensive players only? No, no, everybody. Yeah, so I think Kittle's in the running there too. I just think even though he's incredibly valuable to the 49ers, I don't think you can equate a tight end value-wise to an edge rusher. Or a middle linebacker, for that matter. See, I think Kittle is a better argument than Bosa because Kittle does everything. He catches passes and he blocks for the run. And Warner does everything. He can rush the passer. He can play coverage. He can shut down the run. Bosa, and this is not meant as a knock, it's just that he's so good as a pass rusher. To me, his his main value is as a pass rusher, even though he's not bad against the run. 
I think Warner and Kittle are more versatile. So I think that's your better argument than Bosa. I mean, I, like I said, this isn't one I, that is going to get a whole lot of passionate argument, I think, of between, no, you're wrong, I'm right. I think they're all three got legitimate arguments for it. I just think if you take the players in relation to history, I think Boza is the one that is a truly, you don't see somebody that good at all aspects, but maybe once in every 10 years, and it, and it's an edge rusher. Kittle, yeah, he he's up there, but he also has some, you said no injuries, but he has some injury issues, and I don't think, like, is he better than Tony Gonzalez? You know what I mean? Like, Well, no, but although I will say, if George Kittle has 112 yards this week, he will break the record for most yards by a tight end in his first 50 games. But how much of that is due to Shanahan? I love Kittle, so don't get me wrong, but I do think a lot of what his receiving is is he's an athlete in a Shanahan offense. I don't think he's that great of a route runner. I don't think he's truly that, you know, in, in the aspect of, I mean, blocking, yeah, it's all him. He's truly a tremendous blocker. But in terms of an actual receiver, he's tremendous after the catch, and he has the perfect coach to highlight all that. And I think that makes him much more uh, elevated as a receiver. If he was on the Kansas City Chiefs, would he dominate in the passing? I'm not convinced yes. he would. Because he has Andy Reid. <laughs> I another... don't think Andy Reid quite schemes for a tight end the same. Andy Reid will run a tight end like a wide receiver, but I don't think Kittle can run routes like Kelsey can. Kelsey is the perfect tight end for an Andy Reid offense. Kittle is the perfect tight end for a Shanahan offense, and that's why they both dominate. I'm just saying I don't think actual route running and as a receiver, Kittle is some kind of super great talent. I think he's tremendous after the catch, and he has the perfect coach to highlight that. That's fair. So you would pick Kittle. So who would your pick be for best player on the 49ers? Would it be Kittle? No, it'd be Bosa. Still be Bosa. Okay. All right. So we disagree on that one. How about this one uh, for the defense? The 40 true or false? The 49ers secondary is good enough to prop up a mediocre pass rush. In most games. Yes. Don't give me most games. Yes. True or false. Yes or no. There's two answers you could give here. One's a T and one's an F. I will go false then. I do not think it's good enough to hold up against a good offense. And that's what I mean. Most offenses, if it's a, you know, above average or worse offense, I think they can hold up. I think it's a good secondary. And I think the safeties are really underrated. I think the safeties have been playing lights out this year. And Tart might be earning another contract if it if he doesn't demand too much. But do I think it's actually good enough to hold up against an actually really good offense against a really good quarterback? No, I don't think so. I think it's an, a really good secondary. I don't think it's some kind of tremendous secondary that's going to hold up if there's no pressure. I think I agree with you. That's false. Um, it's good, but the game is just set up now to where if you don't have elite players, eventually the offense is going to win because, I mean, all the rules favor the offense. So did you hear Collinsworth on Sunday Night Football, for God's sakes? He was saying on deep balls, receivers shouldn't even attempt to catch it. He's saying just jump back into mm -hmm. the defensive back because you're going to get the flag, which is like he's kind of not wrong. No, he's not wrong. I was thinking about that, and I'd never thought about it before, but it is true. If you jump, if you got a jump ball and you purposely jump into the defensive back, it's going to look like the defensive back ran through you. 
And that will get a flag almost every time. And it also means there's no chance at the DB winning the jump ball. Uh, yeah, I, I hope we don't go that route. But no, I think so. I think the, the the rules are set up that if you don't have elite players at every spot, then you're not going to be able to prop up a mediocre pass rush. And the 49ers have very good players, like you said, but they're not elite, uh, which actually um, brings me to this poll question that you posted on uh, at NN Podcast, our Twitter handle here. And you asked the question. When everybody's healthy, which cornerback should the 49ers bench? And the three options were Emmanuel Mosley, Richard Sherman, or Jason Verrett. 63% of the voters said Emmanuel Mosley should hit the bench when everybody's healthy. Do you agree with that? I do, and it's kind of surprising. But the level that Verrett has played at is an all-pro level. If he is able to play the remainder of the season and he plays at the level he has been playing at, he's going to be an all-pro. He currently leads the NFL and uh, passer rating when targeted. And it's, you know, it's single digits. It's crazy number. And then you have Richard Sherman, who, I mean, he was an all-pro last year. He might have lost a step. He might not be the all-world talent that he was, but he's still a really good corner, and he deserves at least a chance to have his starting roll back. Now, I will say whatever two end up starting should have a short leash. If Sherman comes back and looks rusty, yank him. You know, if Mosley stays in there and Verrett goes to the bench and he doesn't look all that great, yank him. Like, there should be a short leash if all three get it healthy at the same time. They can't bench, they can't bench Verrett right now. How can they? I mean, like you said, he's he's leading the NFL in passer rating. Like, there's no way they say to him, you go on the bench. It, it's just not possible, right? How could you? It's not a Ryan Fitzpatrick situation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but apparently Fitzpatrick is like, heart crush that he got benched for the rookie which i just kind of find funny yeah like i get why he's upset but what'd you expect from the <laughs> second they drafted Tua, it was his team dude yeah uh, this isn't that situation because in all honesty verrett might be wanted back he might be the guy that they choose to bring back and leave over there with e-man he's a restricted free agent he's all but a lock to be brought back because the Niners control his future and can bring him back relatively cheaply. But I mean, if you bench Verrett right now, you're going to probably destroy him as a player or at the very least destroy the chances of him ever wanting to return after this year. I agree. And I hopefully you can get him for not a huge contract because he does have the injury history, but right now he's playing lights out. So I, I don't think that there's any way that they could bench him uh, when everybody comes back healthy, which, by the way, we don't know when Richard Sherman's going to come back healthy. Kyle Shanahan said yesterday that he's in a walking boot right now, and it probably won't be for another three to four weeks, which honestly, when I hear that, I'm not counting the days till those three or four weeks are up. To me, that means we don't really know when he's coming back. That also means that he probably will be rusty coming back and you might not insert him right into the starting lineup. You might make him kind of have time in practice, work him into the games and get him up to speed before you truly just throw him out there. All right. This is one I think might get a little passion from you. Even though DeForest Buckner is playing at an all pro level, true or false, the 49ers made the right choice by trading him and drafting Javon Kinlaw. Uh, it has to be true. The Niners can't afford Buckner's contract. Has Buckler taken it to a new level? It certainly looks like it. He's taken it to a true all-pro 
other than Aaron Donald, might be the best defensive tackle in the league. It's the level the Niners always believed he was at, but the rest of the league didn't quite recognize. But the Niners cannot afford that contract. They would be negative in cap space right now. They had to make a choice, and I think they made the right choice, and I think Kinlaw has been very good for a rookie. Now, has he been very good overall? No, but rookie defensive tackles, that's one of the hardest positions for rookies to step into because there is so much going on in the interior of the line. And quite honestly, the guys that you go up against on the interior line, if you don't have really good hand fighting, hand tactics, you'll get mauled quick. I mean, look at Quinnen Williams. He had an up and down rookie season. All of a sudden here in his second year, even though it's the Jets, he's actually doing quite well with the Jets. He's might be their only bright spot. Kinlaw's had his moments. A lot of people look and go, well, he doesn't have any sacks. He's a freaking defensive tackle. He's not <laughs> supposed to have sacks. You know, not Aaron Donald is a unicorn in NFL history. I mean, literally is the only one in NFL history to have that many sacks coming out of the defensive tackle position. If a defensive tackle gets even like five sacks a season, that's good for a defensive tackle. What he is doing is he's consistently winning his matchups. He is tied for the lead amongst all rookies for quarterback pressures. He has three batted passes from the line. He is doing, you know, as much as you could want as a rookie. And he's not getting shoved around too. Nobody's shoving him around. He's one of those guys. Nobody's going to shove him around. Yeah, they're not getting gouged up the middle with runs. I've seen him push the pocket and force quarterbacks to roll out a bunch of times this year. He's doing just fine. Now, choosing between him and Buckner. See, to me, the choice isn't between Kinlaw and Buckner. It's between Buckner and Eric Armstead because that's really what the 49ers had to choose between. To me, I think I always thought they should have gotten rid of Eric Armstead and kept DeForest Buckner. But if they weren't going to do that, then I agree. This was the way to go because the drop-off between Buckner and Kinlaw hasn't been so massive that the defense has this gaping hole. And like you said, they're saving money. And part of managing a team is knowing which players, which good players to let go and which to pay the money for. That's part of it. It's easy to to let the scrubs go. Half the GMs in the league can figure that out easily. It's when you have to decide between a couple of good players who to let go and how to do it that's what separates the best GMs in the sport. And I think that John Lynch and, and Kyle Shanahan, once they decided that they had chosen Armstead over Buckner, they made the right move. So I agree. I think that's true. And there is an argument to be made that Armstead's versatility, the ability to play inside and outside, made him more valuable. And they also got, what is it, almost $5 million less per year. By doing that, and he also w- was willing to work his contract to help the team in the near term, whereas Buckner wanted the money up front, which I think was the real sticking point. An underrated part of that was Buckner wanted his money up front, which would have destroyed the cap situation for the Niners and quite honestly would have made it really hard to negotiate with Kittle. So I think it's absolutely the right choice. And that's something I think people don't consider is that these contracts are not negotiated in a vacuum. They all every contract you give affects all the other contracts that you have or will have in the future. So you have to consider the ramifications there. There's a lot of ripple effects. And again, like you said, they had to consider Kittle, they had to consider the versatility, a bunch of stuff there. So we both agree on that one. All right. Speaking of let me throw a little knife in here real quick. All right. we, we can move on. But 
the the money that they saved between Armstead and Buckner could be really useful when you're going to be paying a quarterback forty million dollars to replace Jimmy. <laughs> forty million. Yeah, there's some quarterbacks out there that are being talked about that cost that much. And let's be honest, that's pretty much the going rate now for a really good quarterback. If Jimmy was, if you rewind, if you take today's market and put it to where Jimmy was when he had to sign, he's probably getting almost forty million. It's changed that much. Yeah, the the market has skyrocketed with with Watson and Mahomes, and that's just the way it works. Uh, we're going to get to the offensive questions uh, coming up in a little bit, but there's one more defensive question I want to ask you before we go to break, and that is true or false? The 49ers should trade for former 49er Alden Smith. False. Look, I like Alden Smith. I'm glad he turned his life around. You know, I was a big Alden Smith fan when he was here. We didn't know each other then, but – he might have been my favorite player on the team at that time. So I wish him luck, but he doesn't need to come back to where it all happened. I mean, there's a reason why he's not wearing 99. He doesn't want that former life. I don't think it's a good thing to bring him back into San Francisco where he had all his problems. I think it's good he has a clean break in a completely different place. And I honestly don't think he would want to come back. See, why are you looking at Alden Smith as if he was an actual human being? Don't you see what we're doing here, Levin? Come on. <laughs> yeah, the Niners could use his edge rushing. He, despite all the time off, is still, I mean, he's, he's not the dominant player he was, but he's still a really good edge rusher that the Niners could use. I just don't think it works on the human level, as you put it. It doesn't work between the history between him and the organization and everything else. And this isn't to say that he hasn't turned his life around because by all indications he has and good for him. And that, that's a battle that's going to continue. But I have to say with this, with the Shanahan, John Lynch regime, we don't have guys with off field problems on this roster. They just, there's no Ray McDonald's. There's no guys that have had issues. You don't have to check the police blotter with these 49ers. It's kind of great. I'm not going to lie. And knock on wood in that regard, for one. For two, it, that, that's one of those things that I'm torn on. Because do I like that they have some integrity on who they bring in? Absolutely. I do not like rewarding players with those histories, especially the ones. Drug histories don't bother me as much as domestic violence. You know, you can kiss my ass, I'll never root for you, even if you are in a Niners jersey. Boy, the fact that so many other teams are willing to take those chances, they benefit from it. I mean, let's be honest. They benefit because they're willing to take the guy and they get to pay him less. You know, I'll throw it out there. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs. They got Tyreek Hill and they traded for Frank Clark and sent an A-plus character guy in D4 away. They made those choices and they went out and won the Super Bowl. It's kind of one of those things like, I'm glad they have the integrity, but it also hurts at the same time. <laughs> so wait, on the one hand, you're very nice and you look at Alden Smith as a human being and say it would be better for him as a person to not be in San Francisco. And on the other side, you're like, ah, screw all the off-field problems. Bring them all here. Yeah, no. I mean, like I said, I'm glad they have integrity. But it, I think it's human nature as a fan to sit there and go, ah, we'd be able to win it all if we just willing to bring in that one guy. You know, I'm not... Not talking a specific player, but you know, would they have been better off as a team 
trading for Frank Clark at the price that he was gotten for instead of D four? There's no question. D Ford's barely played. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> yeah. If I knew D Ford was only going to play 22% of the snaps last year, then I would have said, bring on Frank Clark. <laughs> it, it is what it is. I mean, I'm glad they went. Well, D Ford's ended up being kind of a disaster of a contract and trade, but I'm glad they didn't go for Frank Clark. Let me put it that way. It, but it still bothers me to a certain degree to watch a team like the Chiefs go win the Super Bowl because they have two, I'm just going to say, grade A pieces of starring on their team with Tyreek Hill and Frank Clark. I have no problem calling them pieces of to their face. If I ever saw them, sure. Frank Clark might kill me. <laughs> but I mean, here's the thing you're I, not I, running away from Tyreek Hill. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but. I don't have a problem calling a domestic violence person a piece of shit to their face. I don't care how big they are. But that that's my own arrogance. I've never had a problem mouthing off to people. My bosses don't necessarily like that trait in me, but... <laughs> I've picked up on that a little bit as we've been doing the pot. Um, okay, that's going to do it for our defensive questions. we got a bunch of offensive true-false questions, and maybe we'll get into a little bit about the Patriots game as well. We'll do all that coming up after the break. We're back here on the Gold Standard Woo! Podcast. Sorry, just had to get that in there like Kittle. <laughs> what? I've been sitting here waiting, thinking, when am I going to do this in the show? When am I going to let out a random woo just to mess with you? I chose my time, and I think I chose it well. <laughs> like, what the hell, man? <laughs> I, I was rolling. I, I've completely thrown you off. Yep. We're... <laughs> We're live here, man. Isn't that what Jimmy said? <laughs> well, that's the whole point. So we're playing a little true-false. We just did the defensive questions. Now we're going to get to some of the offensive questions. I'll make a statement. Levin will tell me whether he thinks it's true or false. Well, first he'll try and sit on the fence, and then I'll have to press him to actually pick <laughs> a side. And then he'll decide between the two answers. First up, true or false, Kyle Shanahan can keep coming up with game plans that hide Jimmy Garoppolo. False. I'll go false. You know, yeah, do I want to sit on the fence here? Because some weeks he will. But I think this is a false because he's not going to be able to do it every week. He's not going to come up with the perfect game plan like he had last week, every single week. It's just not possible. And I honestly think that with the offensive line, even though they played better this past week, the offensive line still that offensive line. If they need to pass, they're going to have problems and there are going to be games that the Niners get down. There are going to be games where the defense came up with a great game plan and were able to get pressure before the pass could get out. Jimmy did a great job of getting the pass out in under two seconds constantly. Part of that was they weren't even passing it beyond the line of scrimmage, but they're not going to be able to do that every single week. And we've already seen this with this type of offense. And that was last year with the Rams. The Rams coming off a Super Bowl just like us. Unlike the Niners, though, they had a bad offensive line due to injuries. They still had a bad offensive line, so it's the same situation. But they were they were injury ravaged on their offensive line, which gave them a bad offensive line. And if you look at the results of that season, it is very similar to how the Niners have started out this year. Some weeks the Niners are on top of their game. They look like the same team as last year. You know. And then they come out and they lay a dud like they did against Miami. The Rams did that. They 
You know, they had the seven points against the Niners when they couldn't move the ball. They were averaging almost 35 points per game a couple of weeks prior to coming and playing the Niners. They scored 37 points and then followed it up with 12 against Pittsburgh in the middle of the year. They scored six points against Baltimore in week 12 and then in week 13 went and put 34 points up on Arizona. They were up and down, up and down, up and down. That's what's going to happen when you have, yes, a top flight offensive mind as a coach, but with a bad offensive line. When the offensive line isn't quite right or the defense has a game plan that is able to kind of blow up a few plays, you're going to struggle. And the Niners are having that. That's the type of season they're headed for. Yeah, I think it's false as well, just because part of what made the game plan so successful last week was the novelty of it. I haven't seen an offense run like that. I mean, Debo Samuel, I think he had like six catches in the game and his average depth of target was negative yards because none of them were past the line of scrimmage. Like that, that's not a normal game plan. And the more you do that, teams are going to start to game plan to stop that. And so as great as Kyle is, I don't think he's going to be able to do that every single week. The game is designed to go through your quarterback. It's illegal to hit the quarterback like below the knee. It's illegal to hit the quarterback's head basically at any friggin' time. Like the whole game is engineered to go through your quarterback and Kyle's whole game plan was to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands as fast as possible. And teams can easily take that away. I mean, it, it's going to be a simple adjustment, I think, that you're going to see. And you might see it because this next week, because it's Bill Belichick, who obviously is maybe the best defensive mind the league's ever seen. He All you got to do is cheat up on the wide receivers, make the team pass deep on you. Guess what? Not only have the Niners not shown the ability to pass deep yet, but if they're going for a deep pass, what's the quarterback have to do? He's got to hold the ball longer. And when you have a terrible offensive line, making the quarterback hold the ball longer is exactly what you want to happen. It's a pretty easy adjustment. And with Mostert out on top of it, and you don't really have to worry about the run game nearly as much, I, I don't see a very good offensive week coming. I'm fascinated for this week. I was just telling Ed Valentine, who I do the SB Nation NFL show with, this may be the most excited I've ever been for a head coaching matchup ever. Because you got Kyle Shanahan, who's going to draw up God knows what. And you have, like you said, I think the best defensive mind in the history of the NFL on the other side countering it. Like, I can't wait to see the chess match and and how Kyle's going to adjust to Bill. Because I think it's going to be just like such high level football, at least from a game plan standpoint. I can't wait to watch it. I will be interested to see if either team can get anything going consistently on offense because this seems like one of those games where both offenses are going to struggle because the Patriots offense you think the Niners have trouble getting the ball to their wide receivers <laughs> the Patriots do not have good wide receivers I mean they, they might have right there among the league's worst with I mean Philly's injury ravaged and the Jets just don't have anybody but Edelman <laughs> Edelman's not the same it's pretty clear that he was kind of propped up a good bit. Now he's also dinged up a lot, but he's really it. They don't have a good offense unless Cam's going to turn into Superman for this game, which he's capable of doing, but I don't see it. This is going to be a game where the Patriots can't move the ball. And I, with the offensive line struggles, I would have more faith in Bill Belichick winning that matchup than Kyle Shanahan. But I have more faith that it was Belichick with Brady. The fact that it's Belichick with Cam well, I'm not, changes the yeah. equation. 
I'm not talking about overall wins losses. I think the I would probably give a slight nod to the Niners in winning the game, but I do think Belichick will be able to shut down the offense pretty consistently in this game, which means he wins the head-to-head matchup against Shanahan. I will say that Shanahan's been able to put up points against Belichick defenses in the past. That's certainly possible. And I mean, the Patriots defense is not the same this year. True. They, they, they I mean, Gilmore, ha- Gilmore had the COVID issue and they had a bunch of players, including their best linebacker opt out. So maybe they do. I mean, it, I think it's possible, but I would be surprised if Belichick gets embarrassed by the Niners offense. True or false, and I'm just making this up now. You are excited to hear Jim Nance and Tony Romo call this game. Uh, half true. I'm excited for Tony Romo. I don't think Romo's ever called a Niners game. I don't remember him ever doing it. I mean, it's CBS. And right. The Niners are on Fox. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess overall, yeah, excited. Because I like Romo a lot. And I'd be curious to see what he has to say about people like Jimmy and stuff if he gets a chance to comment. But Nance puts me to sleep. He is Nance. He's built for golf. He is phenomenal (laughs) for masters. He is not phenomenal for a big play. It you know, all the balls in the air. Oh, and it was caught for 70 yards. Like that's his announcing style. (laughs) (laughs) That is the biggest insult that you could give to another man. You are built for golf. (laughs) Okay. I found the one guy that doesn't like Jim Nance. Um Next question, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about. True or false, Debo Samuel needs to catch passes beyond the line of scrimmage? Uh, false. You have a lot of that are like half-true things. But I'll That's go, the point. I'll go false because he can certainly be effective, as he's shown, not catching them beyond the line of scrimmage. Now, if he wants to become one of the best wide receivers in the league, you have to say true to that. But the Niners don't need that out of him. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Part of me wonders what he is past the line of scrimmage. Like, are they not doing that because he can't get open? Or are they doing it because he's just so good with the ball in his hands and they want to get it to him as soon as possible, basically? That's my question with Debo. I think there's a very good argument to say he cannot get open deep. It was his, by far, his biggest knock coming out of college was he does not have the ability to break away from people on deep passes. He has incredible ability to make people miss after the catch and he has an incredible ability on short slants that was his big positives coming out and that's exactly what he's been he's been somebody that is phenomenal on short yardage and behind the line of scrimmage because he's phenomenal after the catch but you get him on the deeper intermediate routes he does not have the breakaway speed does he have the speed to get open just 10 yards down the field that's what if it's not a slant yes I think he does. I don't think he's great at it. I don't think he's going to be as good as somebody like Ayuk, which is why I said he might already be the better wide receiver because I think he's more complete. He's really good after the catch, and he's able to actually do stuff deep. We've seen some deep passes go his way. They haven't quite connected yet, but you've seen that he's been getting open. But I will say that it's at this point you would have to I would have to begrudgingly admit, because it doesn't make any sense to me, because I think he has all of the ability to be good at it, but he's simply not. Jimmy is not a good deep ball thrower. I think you got you got to give that to him at this point. He has tremendous accuracy. He shows off a, a good arm. I think 
he has the ability. He just doesn't. I don't know what it is, but at this point, it's been long enough and consistent enough that you have to say it. It's a different throw, though. I mean, you're you're talking about throwing a ball 30, 40 yards down the field. Everybody, every receiver likes the balls in a different spot, likes, you know, some guys like the balls that are up high that they can catch over the shoulder. Other guys don't like that. I mean, it's it's not easy to do. I know Russell Wilson makes it look easy because the guy's a freaking maniac. But like most guys, even in the NFL, can't do that. And I agree. I think Jimmy is that is the weakest part of his game for sure. And it's just it's not going to get any better. It is what it is at this point. And the weird part to me and why I say it's kind of different with him. It's not a Alex Smith situation. I think Alex Smith just didn't have the touch ability. He did not have the ability to get that loft that allows you to get over the defender to the receiver. Jimmy shows that off. He just doesn't get the distance right. Almost <laughs> ever. Like I, That's kind of an it, important part of it, don't it, you think? It is. It is. <laughs> but it's weird because he has like all the touch and he has more than enough arm because he overthrows it a lot. I don't know why he's not better at it. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know either, but at this point, I'm not expecting miracles from Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, okay, well, we're talking quarterback, so let's go to this one. True or false? The 49ers should be in play if Julio Jones and Matt Ryan are truly available before the deadline, like it's reported that they may be. Absolutely true. They should be in play. That doesn't that doesn't mean they should go out and definitely trade for them. But they if they don't look into it, at least... I think they would be doing a disservice. That would be akin to not looking into Patrick Mahomes when he's coming into the draft. Oh, wait, they actually did that. Whoops. <laughs> but yeah, you got to at least kick the tires, I think, especially on Julio Jones, because he is that deep ball. He is that guy you can just throw a freaking jump ball to down the field, and he's probably going to win it. The problem I have, yes, Julio Jones has paid a lot. So that's a big detriment that I don't think that really makes sense for the Niners to acquire because of the money part of it. But Matt Ryan, I think for them to even, even if they could come to a agreement on terms of value for draft composition or whatever the trade is for the two teams, Matt Ryan would have to restructure because he's do something like 46 and $49 million a year. The next two years, there's no way the Niners can afford to pay that. And they shouldn't because to be perfectly honest, I'm not convinced Matt Ryan is better than Jimmy at this point. I think they're both top 10 to 15 quarterbacks that are prone to having these really bad games that you don't know where their head's at. And then they'll have a couple of games where they look like an all-world quarterback. I don't like the idea of getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo and replacing him with an older, less mobile quarterback, especially with this offensive line. Like One of my biggest frustrations with Jimmy is that I think he has decent mobility, but they never get him out on the move. With Matt Ryan, like you don't even have that option. The dude's a statue back there, and I'm sorry, that is not what I want to see in 2020 at my quarterback position. Like those days are just over. Like they just are. I every quarterback in the league now can move except the ancient guys like Brady and Philip Rivers. So I don't like the idea of of Matt Ryan. As for Julio Jones, I'm gonna say false on on both of these for this question on both guys, Julio's always hurt. Julio Jones for his whole career has been questionable with a hamstring injury every week. It's unbelievable. And I know a lot of times he plays and when he plays, he's good. But like the whole 49ers issue this year is that they can't have guys on the field. Availability has been the biggest problem for the 49ers 
So getting Julio Jones, who makes a ton of money, who you're going to have to give up, I'm sure, a first-round pick to acquire, that's not going to solve that problem. That's only going to make things worse both this year and in the future. So I am not on board with the Julio Jones acquisition. Are we sure it would take a first-round pick? I think that's what the Falcons will start at, but there's no way anybody is paying a first-round pick for a 32-year-old receiver who is paid amongst the league's best and it's coming off injury. There's no way. If I were the Seahawks, I would do it. You wouldn't give up your first-round pick for Julio Jones? Why do the Seahawks need a receiver? They're gonna they're going after Antonio Brown. Schefter was reporting yesterday. Yeah, and that, I had the same reaction to that. Why the <laughs> heck are they going after Antonio Brown? They have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. They don't need a receiver. They don't. Like Seattle should not be kicking the tires. This is not the case of a couple of years ago when they needed a Josh Gordon. They don't need a receiver. They are one of the most receiver-rich teams in the league right now. I found that report a little fishy. Did you see how it was worded? I'm trying to pull it up now. It was that Schefter reported that the Seahawks are one of the teams that's going to look into Antonio Brown. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a favor to Antonio Brown or Antonio Brown's agent that like Schefter's trying to drum up a little interest in his boy because it's not like the Seahawks are meeting with Antonio Brown or the Seahawks are, you know, talking to representation or trying to finagle their roster to fit him under the cap. It's that the Seahawks are one of the teams that it's going to look into him. That's pretty vague if you're Schefter. Yeah, that's true. I I hadn't picked up on that because I honestly saw the news and was like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I kind of kept scrolling. I didn't look into it much because I don't think they'll sign him. It doesn't make sense. They're winning. I mean, they're undefeated and they don't, they don't need a receiver. So even if you think Antonio Brown is good, why the heck would you introduce him to that locker room? If they were losing and they were desperate, I could, I would get it. If DK Metcalf was banged up and injured and gone for the season or Tyler Lockett, okay, it makes sense. Keep your Super Bowl window open. Makes no sense. Not right now. Schefter said, quote, the Seahawks are now positioned to make a push to sign him, though they're not alone. What the hell does that mean? They're they in have, a position to make a push to sign him. They have cap space. Like, Shefty, that's what, what that means. What is that report? Oh, give me a break. Would you support an Antonio Brown acquisition for the 49ers? Hell no. Me either. It doesn't make any sense for the Niners. I don't think the Niners have the wide receiver talent quite yet that Seattle does. I mean, I think DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett are better. But if you sign Antonio Brown, one, you introduce him into the locker room. You have a quarterback that is criticized consistently by the media. So if Brown is not getting the ball, you know what he's going to do. He's going to create a problem. And on top of it, signing Antonio Brown only takes snaps away from your young wide receivers that are still developing. doesn't make any sense. So I don't want to see it on Twitter. No poll question. Should I not throw that out there? I mean, you, you can do that. I just every year for the last, what, two years now? Oh, Antonio yep. Brown. Oh, Antonio Brown. Stop it. I want to ask you a question really quick before we go. Akash Anavarathan and Kyle Posey were talking about this on the Shanna plan yesterday. I think it was Akash that said that this 49er offense, the group of skill players they have now, is the best in his, I think he said in his lifetime. Now, I'm not saying a lifetime because you and I go back 
a ways. But in the last 30, 35 years, is this the best 49ers offense skill, like talent wise, that you've seen? That's a good question, but I'm stalling to confirm what my initial reaction is. I, I would say, I mean, if you're going back 35 years, then it's a heck no, because I would say that early to mid 90s skill group when they had Ricky Waters at running back is a dominant. I mean, you still have Jerry Rice there. You're not getting better than that skill group. Now, I'm trying to think, I would say in the late 90s, they had a better skill group because you had T.O. emerged, you had Jerry Rice still, and you had Garrison Hurst, who, when healthy, was one of the best running backs there was in the league. You know, he had that, what, 1,600-yard season, and I think it was 98. Outside of that, I think you get you can get into a, an actual argument with the early 2000s. I think that's where the argument comes. I think when it was T.O. and... Not that I hated him, but I actually kind of liked him. But when it was T.O. and somebody like Ty Streets, maybe you can get into an argument there. When you had when you had guys like Kevon Barlow, yeah, it probably goes to today's. <laughs> goes to this. You give the nod to, to today. But I would say the Niners' school group right now is certainly better than the Harbaugh years. And I think that's a pretty bold statement. Oh, man, that's tough. I'm just trying to go through tight end. I give the advantage to Kittle, even though Vernon was great. I still I give the advantage to Kittle, although I will say Vernon scored touchdowns and George Kittle has never had more than five touchdowns in a year. Now, maybe he does this year. Who knows? But can, can I just say, can I say this quick? That's because Kittle's not that great of a route runner. What do we know? No, it's true. What do we know well, about the red zone? Part. What do we know about the red zone and receivers? Red zone is all about route running because you have such a small space to get open. It's not like Vernon was a great route runner either, though. And Vernon is a unicorn athletically as a tight end. True. <laughs> Although Kittle's not far behind. He's not He's not Vernon Davis, but he's not far behind. He, he, yeah, um, he's, he's a different type of athletically great. He doesn't have the ridiculous speed, which is why Vernon could get open in a short distance in the red zone. I don't... I don't know that I think Kaepernick was better than Jimmy. Like people forget how good Colin Kaepernick was. He was a freak of nature. He was as a runner. He was incredible. Long strides, like picking up yardage, like crazy. And he didn't turn the ball over. He never really had a problem with interceptions. Colin Kaepernick did not throw a ton of interceptions. And that's Jimmy's biggest problem. Um, to me, I think it would, Jimmy was there in 2012, 2013, I think, or when cap was there rather, I think he was better. That, that is a good question. Cause you also have to, so I think, I think cap could be game planned for, there were certain things that he was terrible at. True. Now his athletic ability made up for that at times, but if a team had the right game plan, cap was a non-factor. And we saw that time and time again against certain teams. I don't feel like going back to those memories, but there were certain teams that they knew what to do against Cap, and it was basically make him read a defense because he was not very good at reading a defense. He was not good at getting through his progressions. Jimmy is really good at getting getting through his progressions, but you also have to factor in he has Kyle Shanahan. How much is Kyle Shanahan propping up Jimmy's ability? Jimmy certainly can't run that offense that Cap ran. He's not running the Greg Norman or uh, Greg, Greg Roman. Roman, Greg Roman cap slash Lamar Jackson offense. 
but they also ran an offense for Alex Smith, and I think Jimmy probably capable of running that offense. It was, you know, he ran a little bit. I think Jimmy's a decent athlete. Smith was probably slightly better, but that is an interesting question I had not thought of. Okay. Gore versus Mostert. In this offense, Mostert. Well, no, not in the, just in general. I'm saying in general, we're talking about Gore. Yeah, I had to agree. Even though Mostert is more physically talented, Gore just just worked, man. He just gained yardage, made plays. He's maybe my all-time favorite 49er. And you're talking about somebody who wrote a letter to Jerry Rice when he was a kid and asked him for an autograph, See, which, I, by I the way, did that stuff. Like Jerry returned. He sent me back the card that I sent, and he sent me an autographed picture. So thank you very much, Jerry Rice. That's why he's the GOAT. Not really. I mean, he used to go up for what he did on the field, but I don't know that I'm, I'm going to detract here and, you know, sidetrack us. But I never did that as a kid. Like, I remember kind of like becoming an adult and hearing stories of, oh, I sent this stuff in and look, you know, these these players always return or hearing a story about how this player always makes sure to get through every single letter he receives. And I go, that never even occurred to me. Hey, I'm going to send a letter to this random athlete I see on TV that I like never was a thought. So you were an asshole even as a kid, huh? <laughs> it's not an asshole. I just like they're a professional athlete. They're going to respond to me. Like it, it, yeah. it's, not, it's not like a thought. I, I mean, I don't want anything from them. I literally never even occurred to me. Hey, I should send them something because they might send me something back. He sent a picture, an autograph picture back. I still have it. And actually Jerry Rice is a really cool guy. When I was at ESPN, I got to work with him a little bit. He came on Mike and Mike and uh, Greeny said, Jerry, that's stats, our producer. He's a huge 49er fan. So Jerry came over to me, introduced himself like, hi, I'm Jerry. Like, no, dude, you're only the greatest receiver of all time. Shook my hand. And then he was like, do you want to get a picture with me? So I have a picture of me and Jerry Rice. His arm is around me. It's like the best day of my working life. And it's all because Jerry's a good dude. Keep stroking that ego. Look at you, Mr. Name Dropper. You hear that, everybody? Rob here used to work at ESPN, and he met Jerry Rice. Whew. Well, I did. We were talking about Jerry Rice. It was a totally relevant correlation <laughs> to the conversation. Hey, you already said I'm an asshole. I got to gotta fulfill it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you really want me to name drop, fine. Oh, you can't see my... There you go. Can oh, you see my phone? Oh, wait. Let me write that number down. Yeah. That's Jerry Rice's cell phone number, you jerk. Have you ever called it? No, I've never called it. I've texted it. Oh, yeah? Sure. You going to tell us the story about how he responded then? He hasn't responded to any of my texts. Uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> All right. I think we've reached the end of this episode. It's the Gold Standard <laughs> Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. If you leave a comment in your review, we will read it unless it's mean to me, in which case I will never let it see the light of day. We still ask for honesty. I mean, if you want to be mean to Rob, we're not going to say you're wrong. Just, <laughs> You'll just, we might not read it. <laughs> so hopefully the 49ers win this week. It spreads one and a half. The Patriots are favored by one and a half points. Does that influence your game pick at all? No, I honestly don't look at spreads at all. Who are you? <laughs> I'm somebody that uh, lives on my own mind, my own opinions. <sighs> well, we all can't be as free thinking as you, Levin. All right, guys, enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you next week.